everybody. Welcome back to the Ball and Breakfast podcast. Uh, we've had a little bit of a break here. Uh, Wayne Pua alongside Patrick Miller. Uh, happy to be back, refresh, re-energize. We were just talking about that offline. Uh, but just great to be back with you guys. Um, you're following along right now on YouTube. Give us a like, a subscribe, uh, comment uh, You know, as soon as you've gone through this video. Uh, check us out also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts. Uh, we're on Instagram if you want to check us out, at Ball and Breakfast. And... If you guys are out there working out, you know, getting a good game in or workout, you know, whatever it could be, you just want to bulk up for the end of the summer here into the fall before you fill your bellies with uh, deep dish pizza and burgers for for game day. Uh, check out Titan Nutrition. They're currently, you know, one of our sponsors. They're going to provide you 10% off on, you know, their products, uh, mainly protein and other sorts of, uh, you know, supplements. But you can find the, the link below for um, our personalized link, and they'll also provide free shipping for you. So check that out. Uh, great products and just, you know, wonderful sponsor so far for us and the show. Um, without further ado, we're going to dive right into baseball. Uh, it's been a little bit of time since we've talked to our old friend, uh, but we just got through the trade deadline. Um, lots of big names moving around, even a ton of minor league movement for some teams, but Wayne and I are both going to talk about our winners and losers uh, for the deadline. And then we're going to segue into, you know, with all that, what do we think for the rest of the season? You know, what are we thinking about in terms of, you know, the playoffs, you know, players to keep an eye on, et cetera. So without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to Wayne to kick it off with his first uh, winner of the trade deadline. Yeah. Thanks, Pat. Uh, so my first winner, I got to say, you know, it, it's a little bit of an under-radar. You know, I like to be a little bit weird and unconventional sometimes, but I feel like, you know, when I saw kind of what the Miami Marlins did, uh, I, I was intrigued. I was intrigued. You know, they are in contention, even though they really didn't have too many prospects of being in contention this season. But, you know, they're, they were basically, I think, uh, had the approach of, hey, let's take some swings out here. So Jake Berger... Who I, I believe is under contract or like is is controllable until like twenty twenty nine or something like that. So pretty pretty long uh, for you know for a player that's right now has like twenty six six twenty five homer homers or something like that. I think he was like top ten in homers. So I think that's a great pickup. Get that bat. Uh, they also uh, picked up uh, Jake Bell as well or Josh Bell I should say uh, switching first baseman. Uh, you know. I think he's a he's a solid bat overall, and I think that you know he he, he can definitely be a good contributor for this team uh, over that first base uh, for them. So uh, or DH. So I I definitely think that you know those are two good pickups overall there, and they also got Ryan Weathers uh, from San Diego. I think he was like 23 years old, but he you know he it was like a highly drafted uh, touted prospect and everything. I, I definitely think that that was kind of a, a low risk move over there. So you know uh, I think that. You know, this is kind of a, for me at least, it felt like an under-radar type of uh, transactions there. Didn't really give up too many, like, highly touted prospects. Uh, so good over there uh, for uh, uh, the GM, uh, Kim Eng, uh, over there. So I overall, yeah, I think that was at least my first uh, winner out there that maybe isn't the, the sexiest, but I'm like, wow, this is a, I think it was a pretty solid uh, move. Yeah, um, it's kind of, it's kind of strange to see the Miami Marlins being buyers of the trade deadline and, you know, kind of bringing over some bigger names. I, I do think Josh Bell, you know, definitely needs a bounce back. Um, he's he's obviously capable of putting up 30 home run, 100 RBI seasons. He did it, I believe, a year ago with the Padres Nats. And, 
You know, overall, I think his first game with the Marlins, he went four for five with a home run. Um, Berger gives him some extra power. I think, you know, looking into what the offense was going into the year, a lot of on-base guys, contact guys. It's kind of like, okay, how are we going to drive these guys in? You know, I think that was a need for the team overall, and they seem to fill it. Um, David Robertson also came over from the Mets to, you know, help out with, you know, cleanup duty um, as a closer. Um, but in general, to watch them kind of make their way you know, back into contention this year, hopefully these are some of the pieces that help them finish it off. Uh, we'll just have to see. I actually did, you know, at, being White Sox fans, Wayne and I, it's like, you know, Jake Berger in a year where the team was utter disappointment is like the talk of the town. He was like a definitely a kind of a fan favorite. I always question like if his last name was Brown, would he still be as popular? But it's, like, you know, burgers and people in Chicago just are, you know, true soulmates. So I, uh, you know, to see him go, it's, it's like a, for a fan, it's kind of a hit, but I did like the return with Jake Eater, um, not to go into a tangent on the White Sox, but yeah, overall, I thought that the Marlins, you know, they are, they are putting some chips forward. You know, they are sacrificing a little bit of their future in order to secure, you know, I think a playoff spot this year, like whether or not they can go all the way is, you know, it's going to be an uphill battle for them as a team. But I think overall, if you are a Miami Marlins fan, you're happy to see like a plan, um, a team that was built from the ground up and then came in going out there and like trying to supplement the roster with pieces that, you know, will bring some, pop you know maybe a little bit of veteran presence but also maybe you know some additional playoff experience so uh no i think that's fair yeah i mean how about that trade eater burger uh that's, <laughs> <laughs> who would have thought right i think i think uh rick Hahn and kim probably had a good laugh on that uh so but no i i think it was a solid return by the white Sox. if you want you can definitely go a little bit on there but you know uh i think he was was he a first rounder i think he was very highly touted as, or he was somewhat uh, touted there, but I think, you know, for a player of Berger, Jake Berger's talent, you know, I, I, I think it equates to them and kind of what, what they need. Uh, plus it always seems like the Miami Marlins have like just a, a backlog of prospect pitching prospects. So uh, I think that they're pretty solid there. They, they, they just definitely needed some at bats uh, to go along with like Luis Arreas and, and what kind of what he's been doing there. He's been like, Honestly, he's been kind of like the MVP for the, you know, the, the NL. Just if you, if you want to go by like most actual value, I feel like if you erase him from that, that lineup, like they don't really have too much from there. So I definitely think like he is, he was kind of like, you know, they their, their table setter there. So, um, yeah, adding them that pop, I think that makes them, puts them in that, that contention, uh, status there. Yeah. The problem I see with Berger, and I, and he's still young. He's still got some time to develop, like, his uh, K-to-walk ratio. Um, mm -hmm. You know, he, he's either going to get the big hit, um, he's going to get a hit overall, or he's going to strike out a lot or just not draw many walks. So I think, you know, I think he's in the bottom five in the league for OVP with those with uh, qualified plate appearances, which to me would be a – it was a concern. It was like, okay, I love – watching him go out there and obviously put up like 25 bombs or whatever. But I'm also a little bit concerned about his day-to-day, -day, you know, performances and his defense and how, like, how he actually fits into, you know, what the White Sox were trying to mold. And it's like, we've already got third base. I mean, to me, I think third base is is wide open for the White Sox. But, you know, Kenny, Rick, they might think that Yohan still has some some potential there still. Um, but playing him at second base, like, I, I kind of knew – you know, he's more of like your designated hitter, possibly a first base type. And we've already got that kind of 
penciled in for right now. So it was like, I was just happy we got what I think is really good value on at least prospect profiles, uh, what the guy's stats were a couple of years ago, a year ago now. And, you know, Eater's just got to find his way through those injuries to kind of make himself a useful rotation piece for the future. But um, no, mm-hmm. overall, yeah, I'm okay with uh, with Marlins as uh, as a winner in this situation. Cool. Uh, who do you got for uh, your winner? Yeah, for my winner, I've got the the White Sox, actually. Um, definitely not a winner in terms of 2023 and how the team's kind of played this you know season out, but I think when we just kind of stay within the confines of looking at the deadline, understanding the team's goals, what they want to do to like move themselves closer and closer into contention, whether that is <laughs> laughably 2024, uh, more likely 25, 26, 27, one of those three, uh, in my opinion. But, you know, I just kind of like went down the line, you know, looking at the Angels trade first, giving up Giolito and Raylo. Both guys are walking at year's end. We weren't going to pay you know, the money to retain them, uh, given our situation, I don't think we should have anyways. Um, and in return, we got Edgar Caro, uh, top rated catcher. I think he becomes like the number two prospect in our system. Uh, they're talking, you know, top 40, top 50 prospect in the game right now. That's amazing return for, you know, a couple rental players. So good OBP skills had a really, really nice season. Double A last year had a, you know, 300 average, 400 plus OBP, 17 home runs, 75 RBIs. Like that's something you can look forward to. Um, I think he's stumbled a little bit uh, this year, kind of working his way, um, you know, in the higher minors. So, you know, he's still 20 years old. He's got some time. Uh, definitely needs to improve a little bit at catcher, but is serviceable from what I hear. So excited about him. Um, Kai Bush is a lefty second rounder, uh, has a mid three ZRA and double A. Uh, lefty, um, I think he got blown up yesterday in his minor league start with the White Sox, but in general, um, he's dealt with some injuries. So, you know, two guys that I think we get excited about as far as being depth pieces for our you know, minor system. We moved over to the other part of LA with the Dodgers, gave up Lance Lynn and Joe Kelly, who have honestly this year been complete bums for us. Joe Kelly, I don't think he's ever had, you know, a very good uh, string of performances for us. He's either been injured or very subpar. Uh, Lance Lynn, obviously, was like near Cy Young type, um, you know, uh, status. I think when we acquired him and then had, I think a season or two with us that were, you know, very good, but overall has had a terrible year, uh, good, you know, K rate per nine, but that's pretty much it. Again, two rental guys. We bring back the nine, number nine overall prospect from the Dodgers, Nick Nostrini, an MLB ready arm. They say he has some control issues, but you know, in general, just a guy I think who, really fits well into our depth in our minors and hopefully an arm that we can bring up sometime uh, next year or, you know, maybe at the end of this year, who knows? Um, you know, moving over to Kendall Graveman, give him up, get a first round, uh, you know, draft pick and a catcher and Corey Lee back. Uh, he's in AAA right now with a 280 batting average, uh, you know, decent OBP. Um, in general, they say that his catching ability is, is not very good. It's a little bit below average. So, kind of looking at maybe a platoon guy, uh, an offensive catcher that more or less has some pop maybe off the bench or every other, you know, game or so. But, um, you know, I've heard some comps to like Zach Collins, which are not exactly what we want to hear as White Sox fans, but in the same sense, like we're we're building some catching depth here with him and Caro, a little bit of competition. Maybe, you know, they both uh, play well off each other. And I think uh, Corey Lee actually batted behind Andrew Vaughn 
um, in college. So um, Vaughn had a lot of good things to say about him, which is you know encouraging because I I generally trust Andrew Vaughn for some reason. I think he's got some great years ahead of him. He like reminds me a lot of Paul Canerco. So you know hopefully he has half the career the Canerco did in that sense. But we talked about Burger and Eater. I'm excited about Eater just as far as like at his upside. He's he's dealt with a lot of injuries in the minors so far, but still young. Um, you know, overall 2.6 ERA. You know, in 160 minor league innings, like that's that's outstanding. Um, good, you know, good K per nine type type of guy, lefty. Again, just builds into that arsenal in the in the minors. And uh, finally, gave up Keenan Middleton to the Yankees, another guy who's going to walk, and we bring back Juan Carella, who has 11 uh, Ks per nine right now and a mid threes ERA in the high um, in the high uh, A uh, league in the minors. So. Overall, looking at that package of prospects, uh, they're saying the White Sox moved from the number 26 rank system in the game all the way up to, they're talking 10 to 15 going into next year. Like, outstanding job in terms of doing the trade deadline right. Um, that's where it ends when I talk about the White Sox as being a winner. And I'd love to dovetail this into a more expansive White Sox conversation if you'd like, Wayne. Um, but again... I, we, we went through this experience uh, five or so years ago when they went through the rebuild, the very, very long, painful rebuild to get us to a playoff contention type team. And the sad thing is, is no matter how nice this all may transition out to be what, with what we have on the team right now and the, on the pro level, what, you know, Colson Montgomery might be and all these new guys, there's a part of me that just fears that yet again, we won't spend at the right times, we won't drop the hammer and we will drop the ball in some form or fashion if we keep the same ownership, executive team, development staff, scouting staff, whatever it is together, mm -hmm. uh, coaches, et cetera. Uh, so I'm, I'm very cautiously, I don't even want to call it optimistic. I'm cautiously content with what is ahead for us as an organization. But, but how do you feel, Wayne? Yeah. Well, in terms of like the halls and, and such, like we got really big halls, you know, when you were talking about like, I don't even know how long ago it was. I felt like it's been an eternity, right? When we traded, you know, Chris Sale, uh, Quintana, right? We got Eloy, uh, Kopech, like all these top prospects, right? Uh, but as you were saying, like, it's our development. That's, bit, that's like the biggest thing, our player development, uh, how we manage, uh, players being developed you know putting in the proper uh manager right in front of them to develop them and coaching staff etc etc right getting some uh, veterans sporging uh, on the right type of players like you know benintendi as our highest uh spent on free agent of all time like that's just ridiculous so you know these are the things that as white Sox fans we kind of go through so to me it's like great this looks nice on paper, this this is exactly kind of what we would like. But then, you know, to your point, it all needs to be connected. We need to bring the right support staff to get all these prospects uh, for them to grow. Uh, similar to how we see, you know, the Miami Marlins even. Like last year, like they were whatever. And obviously yeah, they brought in a player like Luis Arreyes, right? You know, that kind of things I think is like where the White Sox need, where they have a young talent. Let them develop. Let them screw up. Let, it's totally fine if they screw up. That's that's part of learning. Let them screw up and, and grow from there and then bring in some solid uh, veterans that kind of 
can embody what you're looking for uh, uh, in terms of like a, a franchise kind of player, right, to go forth on. So I feel like that's just where the White Sox struggle on. So definitely, you know, again, on paper, this is great. I think, honestly, I, you know, I think we kind of fleece the Dodgers, albeit like the Dodgers are like in first place and they're going to be a perennial contender. So whatever, fleecing whatever it is to them. So, but at the same time, like I definitely like the haul that we got for a player of like a Lance Lynn's caliber uh, uh, there, as long as Joe Kelly, right? Like, you know, players that aren't having the best seasons this year, for some top prospects in an organization, right? So I can definitely appreciate things like that. Um, you know, Dylan Cease, I know there was some conversation about trading him, but, you know, I, I think he still has a couple years of arbitration, if I'm not mistaken, uh, and then, you know, can hit the as a, hit, hit the un, uh, the free agency market in a couple years as an unrestricted free agent. So I guess I don't mind that. Maybe, you know, Han, again, this player uh, – Cease was a player that was uh, a Cy Young candidate last year, isn't having the same success this season. So maybe he's just kind of waiting to sell him higher. You know, I, I could definitely see that. And he felt like Lucas Giolito when we traded him. He was like, he's not going to reach that level he was, what, three years ago maybe. So uh, I think that's where he felt comfortable pulling the trigger there. But, yeah, Cease, I get it. You know, maybe he has another season in him that, he can sell a little bit higher. Still, you know, fairly young talent. He's like 27 or something. So um, I get that. And, you know, Eloy, whatever, that's totally fine. Uh, keeping him. Anderson, I know there's been some talks there. Again, I think it's totally fine keeping them. But, uh, yes, everything resides with uh, doing something with his front office. Something's got to change. And even it sounds like Rick Hahn kind of knows that. Like, you hear him. In, in like his press conferences. I don't know if you've listened to them, Pat, but it's kind of like asking, like, I don't know, a convicted felon. Like, everybody knows he did it, right? And why can't he just admit it? Or that's just an utter lie or, or BS, right? So I think that's where sometimes I feel like with Rick Hahn, seems like a nice guy, but, man, the, 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 the moves that's been made, like, it just hasn't been contributing to success here for the White Sox. Yeah, no, I... I, I do think, you know, listening to his press conference, it's like you know, he's talking about his encouraged, you know, feeling kind of going into this, this like what he wants to call kind of a retooling, a reshaping, like we could be competitive in 2024. It's like bullshit. And <laughs> it's just funny to me because, you know, uh, like you're saying, kind of kind of walking around the question, kind of dodging the accountability question, like what his job status is going to be going into next year and you know, I don't think any reporters really asked him pointedly, like, do you feel like you failed as a general manager? Do you think you'll still have a job, you know, going into next year? But it's this like complete job security that a lot of folks within the White Sox organization have. Like it is Kenny's security. It's, it's Rick Hans. It's, you know, uh, Daryl Boston as a first base coach, he was, you know, leading the, uh, base running and, and outfielding in last year's team, which both ranked dead last. So it's like, how did these guys keep their jobs? And, you know, we don't know what's going on in the development department. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes with baseball ops analysts. Like, are they family friends? Like, are they former players? Like, if they are, Reinsdorf's probably retaining them. So, you know, it kind of reminds me of Congress in a lot of ways. It's like the White Sox organization, it's like, no matter what new faces you kind of bring in to be a representative or a senator, like the system is broken, you know? So it's like, if a system is broken overall, it doesn't matter who's actually sitting in those seats. It's like, everything's aligned for kind of 
failure or, you know, just pure inertia. And it's just like, I don't know, man, it's frustrating. Like I watch, uh, you know, some other teams change over owners and other leagues. And it's just like, I could just kind of feel maybe this sense of like relief or, you know, this obviously new optimism energy. And it's like, I, I really do think that's what it's going to take. I mean, it's going to take Reinsdorf selling off, you know, the White Sox and, you know, maybe moving into a minority position or, you know, maybe fully selling out, you know, that, that'd probably be what I would think is his goal in all this, given how, you know, much he's penny pinched along the, you know, the years here. So um, in any case, super frustrating when we look at big picture, but, you know, looking at the deadline, when I just look at the X's and O's, I'm like, okay, White Sox, I'll give you, you know, what I think is a winning, you know, trade deadline performance. Yeah. Yeah. Again, on paper, it's like, it makes sense. And maybe this is like, you know, uh, Rick Hahn's strength more so is getting these deals. Because honestly, like, whenever, you know, as White Sox fans, we see these deals that even, you know, Kenny Williams sometimes had, maybe not the Manny Ramirez signings or the Ken Griffey uh, signs or <laughs> trades or anything like that. But, you know, uh, definitely these kind of uh, wheel and deals like during the, the trade deadline where we are like trading, you know, Chris Sale for, uh, you know, Yomankata and Kopech and all that, right? Like those deals that I think we do kind of feel excited about uh, from like the more so the fire sale standpoint and what we did with, you know, trading Quintana for Eli uh, Jimenez, like those types of deals we definitely get excited about. But the development of those players, managing, like, yeah, we were pretty solid. It felt like, you know, when, uh, yeah, when, when we didn't have Tony Larusa, right? I think we were kind of headed the right direction then, I guess, for whatever feeling they felt like Rick Renteria just wasn't the, the guy there. So, um, and then ever since then, it's just been, you know, comical thing happened after comical thing that's happened, injuries, right? So, I don't know. I feel like there's, this is the start of a kind of a little bit of a reset or maybe retool, hopefully, uh, you know, just as a White Sox fan. It's like, yeah, it'd be nice if they can be, you know, maybe in contention next season. A lot of crazy things can happen, but uh, I think it's a step in the right direction, whatever that direction might be. You know, we are getting uh, some pretty quality young prospects, you know, Lance Lynn I, and uh, uh, again with Joe Kelly. I think that, that was definitely a solid trade. Uh, I, I'm very excited about that one, you know. Uh, so overall, I think, yeah, White Sox, it definitely feels like we won, but it definitely also feels like we didn't win at all. Or we're still going to be going reverting back to kind of our old ways here now. Yeah. Before we move, the the biggest surprises I think that I come out of it with, and like as a White Sox fan coming to some sort of realizations with with upside and like actual talent, like I found it strange that Moncada was not moved. I don't think there's much to be excited about anymore with him as a player. I think more than just raw ability, because obviously he can smoke balls that like we've seen missiles come off his bat. It's a consistency thing. I think it could perhaps be an attitude thing. Like I've been trying to get down to the bottom of like what part of the White Sox culture was, you know, so detrimental that it derailed our, our team from 21 to 22 and 22 to 23. And I think of some guys that just kind of show that. And we talked about this in the past, like why guys like Eloy Jimenez weren't packaged up into bigger deals. Like if there were actually serious deals on the table and we walked away from those, I'd be disappointed because at this point he only looks like a DH and He's injury riddled. Like, unfortunately, it's a different thing every year, but it's like, I don't mind how he actually performs when he's on the field, but it's just, it just hasn't been enough to be, you know, a regular starter, especially a guy you're considering like a cornerstone of your franchise, you know, and, and the way we kind of view him. And uh, 
And just finally, Tim Anderson, you know, we have one more year of control with Tim. It's pretty comfortable. You know, maybe the thought process is like, let him have a bad year and see if he can bounce back before next year's trade deadline, get rid of him. But like, again, we talk about this culture and like what's actually happening. You know, we've seen Tim Anderson flick off fans in Cleveland. We've seen Tim kind of like be maybe a little bit excessive or kind of share an attitude when he hits a home run or whatever else. He does kind of carry some sort of attitude of loafing at times, like making the same type of error at shortstop on a, you know, like a slow roll ground ball where he just has to make an easy throw to the catcher to, you know, get a guy out at home. It's like, it's these little things that kind of pile up and really get under the skin of veterans and other guys that are trying to like, you know, put it all in and kind of push their way forward. So I'm, I'm picking on some guys and I don't have enough evidence to really back up like my assumptions here, but like in the same sense, uh, there's something going on within that within that locker room, and I I can guarantee you it wasn't Jake Berger. <laughs> so I, I, that's another part of this whole you know game that I you know think needs to be you know spotlighted yet again. Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess moving on from you know our our heart talking about our heartbreaks, <laughs> you know, uh, I and guess, they're a winner, and they're a winner. Yeah, another winner. <laughs> You know, a team that is uh, currently in first place. Uh, I I, got to go with uh, the Rangers here uh, as a winner for uh, the trade deadline. Uh, Getting Max Scherzer, getting Jordan Montgomery, Aroldis Chapman, Chris Strannon, uh, Austin Hedges, who, you know, is uh, he's always been known as like a good defensive uh, catcher for them. Like uh, to set yourself up. Um, going into, you know, uh, the playoffs and everything. And I know the Astros are kind of teaming up or they're, they're getting healthier, I should say. Uh, so it's going to be a nice clash to who wins the division. But, you know, even thinking about the playoffs, because I think, you know, Texas Rangers, they are a playoff team. They are have, like, the best offense out there. But they definitely needed to upgrade their pitching staff overall. Um, you know, I think Avoldi's been kind of like the, the person there and then, you know, DeGrom, like he's uh, undergoing Tommy John surgery, right? So uh, he's out. So they definitely needed that other uh, that other arm. So they got a couple there with Max Scherzer and Jordan Montgomery. Scherzer, uh, you know, Hall of Fame t- uh, player, not the best season this season so far. But, you know, get him in the playoffs. I think that's all kind of what you're looking for. Get him in the playoffs. Uh, have him go against whomever. Like, I don't know how many other, other pitches you're, you're going to bet against him. So... Um, and then Jordan Montgomery, like solid all-around player. Uh, it's funny how he he's kind of transpired the next in this past couple of seasons, like as a you know one of the uh, most consistent kind of pitchers out there. So I think overall, and then oh yeah, Chapman, the the flamethrower guy, doesn't maybe have as much as we he's had previously, but he's still got something to help out and a lefty in the bullpen. So overall, I think great haul for the Rangers going into the playoffs here. Yeah, no, a great example of um, <clears throat> a team with a very stacked offense that needed, obviously, a pitching boost. I mean, I think when we were in our window for the White Sox, uh, you know, in 21, it was like we were hoping that they'd really go after a guy like a Max Scherzer type, whoever was available at the time, or, you know, an extra Jordan Montgomery type, or, or whatever it could be. Like, you want those, like, home run type, you know, uh, trades at these kinds of deadlines when you're in first place, you know, and I think that's been a lot of the slander going against the Orioles at this point. It's like they're first place in the entire league and they didn't make enough deals to even, you know, 
uh, move a couple waves. Like they got one starting pitcher in Jack Flaherty, and that was pretty much it. But now I'm in complete agreement with you here. Um, you know, Scherzer, you got John Gray over there. If Evaldi can get back, obviously, like that's that's huge as far as like setting up a playoff rotation. They got the best offense in the game, have put up the most runs, have the best OPS, RBIs, etc. It's like that's a stacked team. Um, you know, maybe your bullpen's what you worry about most going into the playoffs, but overall, I think they've done you know what they needed to do to get themselves into a you know pretty nice spot come October. So I'm on board with you there. Yeah, sounds good. Um, yeah, I guess. Yeah, do you who who's uh, your next uh, winner? If you got another one. Yeah, um, I guess like the White Sox, another team that disappointed this year, but did a great job at the deadline itself. And it kind of ties into Max Scherzer, but the New York Mets, uh, as far as what they were able to do to basically purchase some very high-end minor league talent and some guys that are really, really exciting. Um, you know, in that Scherzer deal, they brought a, over Ronald Acuna's brother, uh, Luis Angel, who right now is batting 315 with a 377 OBP. You know, he's the number 44 prospect in the game, five-tool player, can play a ton of positions. I mean, they're talking about superstar caliber type player who could probably slot in at second base or somewhere in the outfield for them, you know, uh, maybe in the next year or so. So keep your eyes on him. Um, in the Verlander deal, they were able to bring back two top-rated outfielders in the Astros, you know, system, both guys, Again, good, good average, good on base percentage guys with some power. Um, you know, both young double A type players uh, in Drew Gilbert, Ryan Clifford. They got a some extra depth um, over in the Robertson deal with Marco Vargas and Ronald Hernandez, but an infielder and a catcher. They both have very high uh, uh, weighted runs created, um, plus metrics in terms of like how they stack up against their peers. Like they are well above their peers with exceptional uh, walk to strikeout ratios at the dish. So it's like these guys are just great contact hitters and they're both like, I think 18 and 19 years old uh, respectively. So essentially they looked at their year. They understood, Hey, we were a team that came into coming into this year. We were supposed to be world series contenders. This whole operation failed, but Hey, we are aware of that. We've recognized that, you know, we're not going to double down on our failures here. We're not going to dig ourselves a deeper hole uh, for our future. And we have all the capital available to us to make these, you know, uh, moves in the transition much smoother into the future. So we'll trade two guys that are probably, you know, already in their 40s or over who can command a lot of value on the market. Obviously, we have to throw more money at our problem. Uh, they, they ended up paying like a pretty good share of both guys' contracts in Scherzer and Verlander. But to be able to bring back three guys that will probably end up somewhere in the top 100 prospects this year in those two separate deals, um, I think is a great start. And then also kind of go out and grab a bunch of other depth in some minor deals with some other guys. They're moving Mark Kana uh, and Dominic Leone, a reliever. It was like they got a really high score on the trade deadline overall, like just in terms of their transactions. We're obviously a year or more away from kind of being maybe a contender again in the NL East, but overall you kind of have to tip your cap to a team that, you know, as we look around the league and I'll get into my, my losers, but there are some teams that don't look themselves in the mirror and don't shake, you know, kind of that pride um, in terms of, Hey, I put this team together. It's not working. It doesn't, 
you know, it's not going to work, but I'm not going to admit that. There's a lot of GMs like that in the league, and I'm just glad Billy Epler and team, like, understood that and just made the moves they had to make. Yeah, it's definitely one of those. So, yeah, I definitely agree, actually. Uh, it's one of those if, obviously, if they were winning, if uh, if the Mets were, you know, top of the, of the division, then the the outcome or the story right now would, would be different, but they kind of just made the best with what they had. So, and it's like, okay, you know, how long were, did we expect also Verlander and Scherzer to be there? I think they were on what, two year deals or something. So, um, you know, they're like, okay, this year is not going to work out. Let's see if we can maximize, uh, the trade value of these two players here. Uh, and then they did. So I think that's kind of what they did. They just rolled with the punches essentially. And, yeah, they got some nice young talent there, and to your point, they have one of the I think one of the, one of the richest owners, or somebody that really cares about spending money here for the Mets. So you know, why not uh, figure out what, what's going to happen in the future? But yeah, right now it's like, all right, let's max out the trade values of these two, uh, you know, Hall of Fame pitchers here, and see what we can get from them. And then yeah, uh, they still have some young talent uh, players in the prime, right? Uh, so let's see if we can surround them maybe in the next couple of years with. Uh, you know, some free agents there. Yeah. I mean, one analyst, uh, you know, covering the deadline pointed to it and saying like, the guy is going out and he's buying prospects. He's, he's going out and he's spending money to pull over prospect talent that is going to be controllable for many, many years. And if really money is no object, you can obviously, you know, once you build a core that kind of moves up, um, is ready to kind of be the, your next Braves, your next Blue Jays, you know, your next White Sox in a way. Uh, you then go out and supplement with some real core, you know, veterans and high price free agents, and there you go. You got a playoff team and a good mix for the future. So, um, yeah, just just to me, smart on them. Although, again, we talk about like winner of a season, like they definitely fall in the losers bracket in, in that sense because they just had a rough uh, go of it. But uh, but yeah, overall. Um, I guess those are our winners. Uh, Wayne, do you have a first loser to, to kind of put on the board here? Man, losers. So it's interesting. I think I almost feel like it was easier picking the winners. Picking the losers, I feel like, is a little bit different because sometimes I feel like, you know, a loser can be uh, somebody just makes a terrible trade uh, that doesn't make any sense or, you know, they they uh, they uh, they uh, buy too much and, and, you know, sell too little or something. So... But I, for me, at least, uh, in terms of where they're at right now, what they have to offer, I guess I was a little disappointed uh, with the Cincinnati Reds. Um, you know, they really didn't do anything. And, you know, the the, man, the general manager kind of was like, you know, he's kind of open about it. He's like, yeah, I think we have enough young talent to help us, you know, uh, uh, get us over the finish line here. But, you know, they're, uh, uh, they're they, they lead the division. It's pretty tight. It's like, like it's between them and the Brewers. I think it's like one game, uh, or, or it might be uh, tighter now. But you know, they definitely need some pitching depth. I think that's the like that. It's it's pretty damn evident about that. Um, you know, they're really relying, I think, on Andrew Abbott. I think he's like been their only consistent starting pitcher throughout the entire season, uh, at least right now. That isn't hurt or injured. So you know, Hunter Green's been out. Uh, so I. I, I feel like they, they needed some sort of pitching uh, consistency out there, uh, you know, kind of day in and day out that wasn't Andrew Abbott. And I think that was just a missed opportunity for them. Uh, so for me, you know, it was kind of like a much more of 
they didn't do anything. But I, I also think they have enough prospects. So I, that's where I felt like, why not take a shot at you know a decent starter out there too, uh, to kind of shore up your your arms there. So I feel like that's just where it is. Um, and then get to the playoffs, get that experience for your your young uh, your young talented team because you know uh, they definitely are like hitting the ball pretty damn well. Uh, so I don't know. I felt like that was just a missed opportunity on, on that side, and I, I honestly don't know if they're going to be winning the division. I you know not to like steal my thunder in the future, but I feel like the Brewers, the Cubs, like those two teams, uh, they could definitely catch up. I, I think the, they're, they're both those teams are in striking distance, and I think that they position themselves better uh, for this second half of the season to make the playoffs than than the Reds here. So yeah, uh, for me, Reds. I don't know. I, I didn't feel that great about their uh, trade uh, not happenings. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's a, a pretty good loser here. I mean, just uh, seeing where they've come as a team, like going the full development route and everybody on their team is like basically homegrown or was recently traded for in the minor system. You know, going to kind of going around the diamond, they've had a problem right now of like bringing up some MLB ready uh, infield talent. And in the same sense, they don't have like consistent spaces for a lot of guys. So they have, you know, Matt McClain, they have Ellie De La Cruz, they have Spencer Steer, Jonathan India. Um, they just brought up Christian um, Encarnacio Strand. And then they also have Joey Vado who came back from injury. And you have Nick Senzel. So they got a lot of guys that play a lot of, um, you know, overlapping positions. Um, they've, they've moved some guys out to the outfield. They've, they've DH'd, you know, them got some guys here, there are given, you know, uh, days off for guys for regular rest, but it's like, why not parlay one of those guys or maybe somebody who's like them in the minors? Cause they're, you know, systems pretty loaded. And like you're saying, go out and get a pitcher, you know, maybe it's a guy who's a little bit controllable. Like, could they have put together an interesting cease package? Like I heard the white Sox were rumored to be interested in Jonathan India. Like, could that have been a good match where you're giving up C's, you get India and maybe some parts, but it's like, yeah, the fact that they didn't come away with a rental or, you know, a controllable option for the next couple of years at, at the rotation, it definitely hurts them. Cause like you're saying, if you're going to depend on Abbott, some unproven guys like a Hunter Green, maybe Nick Lodolo is available come playoff time and you can give you some good innings. Like it's a lot to bet on. I mean, Ben Lively, Brandon Williamson, like these guys, they just, they aren't battle tested. Um, you know, you're probably looking at a pretty early exit this year. And and maybe that's part of the goal. Maybe part of the goal is like, hey, this is the first year that we're actually a real team. Like we're gonna we're gonna get smacked around a little bit once we get into the you know, these real games, but in the same sense, like that'll be good experience. But but I think like you're saying, the architecture for what they're trying to do now and into the future, like they should have made some moves happen. Like they they could have made some moves to to give them that that extra push to get to the uh you know, get to the postseason for the first time in a while and uh, and actually, you know, make things interesting moving forward. Yeah, I agree. And that Dylan Cease uh, thought would have been good, uh, especially as a White Sox fan. If that were to happen, then, man, okay, maybe Recon is onto something, <laughs> uh, you know, trading away a, a breast uh, talent out there and, you know, getting a haul like that because, yeah, the Reds have a really good farm system. So, you know, I don't know. Uh, it, it just didn't. I guess as a you know, if I was a Reds fan, I would just be like, why didn't we you do something? But you know, there probably is a, a, maybe a plan that I'm not aware of. But yeah, I, I definitely think some sort of push could definitely help there because uh, yeah, right now they just don't have any arms there uh, in the in the starting staff other than Abbott. So yeah, for sure. Um, at least for I've got a few losers on my board. I think the one that I'm gonna 
bring up first is the Yankees. I just thought, look, you're in last place in the AL East. The contenders that are above you are, are really serious. You've got the O's and Rays have like clearly separated themselves. The Blue Jays are firmly in a wild card spot right now. And then the Red Sox have been like above 500 and battling pretty tough. And it's like, you've gone through a full year with Aaron judge, you know, basically on the IL, you know, he's still coming back from that toe injury. He's still, you know, probably not a hundred percent at this point, you know, the rotation's been a complete joke. I mean, Rodon going down Montas out, Herman now leaving for alcohol abuse issues, uh, Severino having a really bad year, you know, and things have been pretty middling for them all year. Yeah, they got guys like Severino, uh, Kiner Falefa, who could be a good utility player for some other playoff team. Harrison Bader's actually had a really good year. And then Wandy Peralta is a lefty in their uh, relief core where it's like, hey, you, you could get a lot of great talent here to like, I honestly think like those four guys could net you maybe two thirds or half of the package of the White Sox or the Mets got and like get you into a decent position next year to like, Hey, you got some, you got some fresh faces in there, some new young talent or whatever else you could have brought back over, you know, a new look at the team, you know, it's just kind of, again, now you're going to let all those guys walk and you're actually trying to go for it. And the only move you made was Keenan Middleton. Like, if that's a posture, if that's the stance you're going to take as the Yankees, like we're not, we're not out this year, then go for it. Like actually go for it. You know, go for Verlander, go for Scherzer, go for somebody else. You got the resources. It's just like this whole in between thing. And then just kind of sitting on your hands. It was like, well, you didn't do anything either. (laughs) And you know, you're just going to watch all these guys walk out the you know door unless you, you resign them. So just very confusing to me and uh, very un-Yankee like in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, they're usually like the fun people during the trade deadline, I feel like, whether they are acquiring or, you know, maybe even selling sometimes. But, um, yeah, it's, you know, especially right now, again, maybe it's kind of the inverse of what the Mets did, right? The Mets, they were like, okay, we're not going to be winning a championship. And that's like the, you know, kind of the the thinking. I I feel like that, you know, uh, if you're a fan, right, you're going to say – or maybe that's where the fans, I should say, they kind of middle things with where the GM needs to be kind of cold-blooded. And I think that's where you kind of want uh, what Epler was like with the Mets. It's like, hey, we're not going to be winning anything this year. Uh, Sure, we had some high expectations, right? The Yankees had some high expectations, you know, coming into this season. We're not meeting them. Uh, We're probably not even going to make the playoffs or it's going to be really close. And even if we do, it's just not going to be our year and we just got to admit it. So I don't know. Maybe they are kind of holding out uh, with their team. You know, they they do rank pretty well in terms of I guess pitching and then defense. It's their hitting, the injuries, right? Rizzo, I, I definitely think that that that's definitely held them back some. So, but you know, again, like with the Mets, comparing to the Mets, you got to roll with the punches. I feel like, and um, I don't know. Yeah, I I think some sort of inaction just doesn't sit well. That being said, it's like. Hey, maybe you know, just not doing anything. Maybe that is something for them, and maybe Rizzo can get on a tear and and all that. But I, I just don't feel like that's in the cards uh, for them this season. And it'll be interesting if they do make the playoffs. Uh, I maybe they sneak in. Uh, it, it'll definitely be tough because they're in a tough division. So you know, if I were them, yeah, maybe I would sell. Uh, I just think that maybe Cashman's just kind of holding out. So yeah, because they're only getting older too. So yeah. Um... 
they're kind of in an in-between spot. Um, I think they're, you know, they've got a shot here at the wild card, the very, you know, best in my opinion. But it's like, again, this doesn't look like their year, and it's just confusing. So um, definitely a loser there. Yeah. Uh, Wayne, did you have a another loser? Yeah, another loser. Um, so, you know, I, I guess I'll, th- I'll, th- I'll think of, like, the inverse of – maybe what I was talking about with the Reds in terms of a contender that didn't do anything really. Uh, I think there's a team out there also in the AL East. Uh, they really didn't do anything, uh, but w- they probably should have, similar to you know maybe the Yankees there. Uh, and to me, yeah, it's the Red Sox here. Uh, I think the Red Sox, you know, I don't know if any team is necessarily going to be catching up to how well the Orioles are playing. I know the Orioles surprise team, right? You know, I I think I picked them fourth in the, in the in that division. Uh, they're killing it, and they're not really slowing down. I feel like, and I think they also added what uh, uh, Jack Flaherty as well during the trade deadline. You know, uh, I think he pitched you know pretty well tonight here. I think he had like six uh, six innings, eight strikeouts or something. But you know, I don't think that the Yankees or the Red Sox are going to be catching up to uh, Tampa Bay to the Blue Jays. Uh, you know, it, it just isn't their year. So I feel like they got to sell. And they had some assets here with, like, a Trevor Story, a, you know, maybe a Chris Sale uh, if he's healthy, uh, Garrett Wicklock, you know, Tanner uh, Houck and, and all. So I feel like those were some players that, you know, they could have traded maybe, yeah, to a Cincinnati Reds team, get some prospects there that, you know, they needed some pitching uh, uh, talent. So I feel like that was something that was just a missed opportunity. So... Yeah, for me, Boston Red Sox, do something because you ain't winning it this year and you might as well get a little bit better, younger, et cetera. Yeah, um, you know, they're, they're a tick above the, the Yankees, I think, as we speak. But in the same sense, it's like for the last couple of years, few years now, the Red Sox have been like a really confusing organization to understand, you know, not – not shelling out the money for Mookie Betts, uh, not extending a real offer to Bogarts, kind of being pressured into – spending real money on Rafael Devers. And like, these are all guys that, you know, I think especially in the bets and Devers case, like you want to be throwing money at those guys immediately. And the Red Sox traditionally would. And it's like, I don't know. I think they're playing a lot of money ball or whatever else they're doing right now. And it's like, it's too confusing. Like they, they seem to be like in a lateral state and to kind of sell off Kike Hernandez, who is like, I think probably a great culture guy back to the Dodgers for no apparent reason. It's like, I just get lost in like, what's the direction here? Like, what are you guys actually trying to, you know, build the culture off of for this team? Is it a pitching strong team? Like, is it a small ball type team? Are you going for high price free agents? Cause it, it seemingly is all over the map. And uh, like you're saying, the pitching depth and the rotations, like not all that impressive. Like I think Bello, uh, Brian Bayo's had a great year, kind of an up and coming type of year. Um, Paxton's been reliable and bouncing back from an injury, but it's not enough to get you over the hump to win in October, in my opinion. It's just like, yeah, this isn't the Red Sox franchise. And again, like with the Yankees, this isn't the Yankees franchise we're familiar with. So we're definitely in a new era right now. Yeah, I think they, I think they need to get over the the whole, uh, you know, yeah, we're the Red Sox, Yankees, and just yeah, deal deal some of these players, uh, you know, get a little bit younger, and get some more, you know, flexibility and control with the players too. Yeah, just roll with the punches and, you know, this isn't the year. Move on and 
make the best uh, of next year. So, but yeah, uh, Yankees, Red Sox. How about that? Uh, two teams that <laughs> were like, you know, very storied and all that, but uh, we we both picked them as a, a loser uh, for the trade deadline here. Yeah. My final loser, uh, I'll keep it brief, but the Padres obviously have had one of the worst seasons along with the Mets, Um, you know, Yankees as well. Like probably maybe, you know, Yankees at least are showing out a little bit um, above 500, but just a year that is completely forgettable based on the expectations. And uh, I just, I just realized like we're going into the final year of Juan Soto's contract next year. And you know, a team that's like, you know, under 500 right now, as we speak, um, to be buyers at the deadline, uh, is very head scratching. Like they brought over, you know, Garrett Cooper and, um, you know, Scott Barlow from the Royals. And it, it just seems like they, they want to be in the game. Like they're, they're trying to bolster their team as best as they possibly can. But, you know, in the same sense, it's, uh, it's confusing. Like, is it Gma and Choi and Rich Hill really going to, you know, pull you over the hump of where you've been? You kind of been very mediocre this entire year, and to me, it's kind of, it doesn't feel like it's going to be their year um, unless everything breaks right from here on out, and like they can get into a wild card spot and just riding a hot wave because they definitely got the talent on paper. Like nobody's really disputing that, but again, it kind of comes back to some maybe culture issues that are you know taking place in the clubhouse or like guys that just really don't want it. They just they maybe more for the the contracts, the fame, uh, their individual statistics, whatever it could be that's kind of hampering this club. And, uh, you know, Soto's having an MVP-type year. Um, he's obviously one of the most touted players in the game. I just feel like given, you know, where they're at in their current uh, window and, you know, you lose Soto, you're not, you're not dead in the water in terms of offense goes. And, you know, could you just imagine the splashy, you know, splashy type of package they could bring back with, one postseason here to go if you acquired Soto and then another full year before free agency, like you could get some value off that. If, uh, you know, if Dylan Cease is going to bring back, could have brought back some real value for the White Sox, like Soto unquestionably could get you, you know, I think three blue chippers at the very least. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree on that. You know, I, I think what the reasoning, and I don't know how the conversation uh, was like, you know, during between the GMs, the owners and all. Um, <clears throat> but it might have to do something with this whole run differential thing, honestly. Like, they're plus 75. Like, they're, they're one of, like, the top 10 <laughs> in terms of run differential, I believe. So it's like, how are we not winning? Like, the, the data says this, right? So uh, I think they've lost a lot of, you know, one-run games from my understanding. Uh, you know, they've lost some late inning games or some you know, extra inning games. So they've been, uh, you know, like the opposite of like these scrappy teams out here, like the Marlins and all who, I think the Marlins, they got like a minus something, I believe. Uh, Miami Marlins, they got minus 26, yet they're, they're six games over 500, looks like, according to this uh, ESPN standings here. So I don't know. Yeah, I think that's just how the conversation went. Hey, look, uh, we have, you know, going into the season, you know, we both picked the Padres to win the whole entire thing, I think, right? Uh, or at least go to the World Series. And, you know, on paper... No, win it all. At, win it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On paper, like, this is the best team out there. Best pitching staff, best, best like, uh, you know, top to bottom lineup and everything. Like, how can they not? So they're having, like, this anomaly of a season, I guess. They're like, hey, let's let's go for it. Let's, you know, it'll, let's, let's stay the course. 
things will even out according to the data, right? So I think that's the reasoning. Now, do I agree with that? And, you know, is it maybe that can be the best decision? Are they going to regret that maybe later? I don't know. But um, I think that's kind of what that they were thinking. Uh, but to your point, Soto, one year, man, that's tempting to, to kind of get rid of and see what type of, you know, uh, controlled players you can get or prospects you, you, you could have gotten from that. So uh, I think it's a bold move. Would I have made the same thing? I don't know. That that's a tough to shit. That's a tough decision there. But the Padres, man, that's just an anomaly season. I think they're having right now. So and yeah, maybe it is something with the players' attitude. The baseball guys just not liking it. I don't know. Too many bad flips. Something like that's happening. But yeah, I don't know. What do you think more so of now? With the Padres itself, it's like the combination of Soto. Tatis Machado. When you look at like the character of those guys, like, and I don't, I don't want to get too much into the Soto character game, but I think like asking out of a great situation in Washington, like there was nothing going around. There was nothing really going wrong with Washington, to be honest with you. He just won a world series at the age of 20 years old. You know, he was 19 years old in that season, 20 years old in that season. It's like, Okay, you're very young. You have three more years left. You're one of the best players in the game, and you know your team just won the World Series, and now your GM is one of the best in the game, and he's starting to build, you know, a minor league system kind of, you know, around you as a core piece and, like, wanted, you know, Soto obviously to be a part of their long, you know, term plans and stuff. So it's just like uh, we, we see this a lot in basketball when guys are asking out and we have opinions of those types of guys or, like, are demanding trades or want to be with contenders like this happening in baseball, baseball is not basketball. You can't put three superstars together and expect them to immediately go to the championship because they're all in the same squad. Like you're three of 25 instead of, you know, three of 12 Um, in most cases, three of five actually on the court. So it's like this, uh, this idea of having like a lot of superstar personalities in one locker room sometimes that can be too many. Like sometimes for baseball, like you maybe want one or two of those guys uh, if they have big bravados, but like, it seems like there's probably a lot of bravado in that, in that clubhouse, especially guys like Tatis, who we know, you know, steroid guy, big personality, like almost makes light of his steroid use this year. Like when fans have been chanting at him, Machado, notorious, uh, kind of, I would say like, uh, dirty type of player. Um, maybe not your best clubhouse guy. I don't think he's very well liked around the MLB. Um, maybe he's changing those narratives a little bit in San Diego. Now he's more grounded, but mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's a huge part of this. And, uh, and I think that's, what's kind of leading him down this, this path. Like, I just don't think they're motivated enough. I think they just care more about themselves than they do, you know, winning baseball games. And, you know, that, that can't be the focus of your team. Like you need a lot of, uh, you know, team guys, you need like grinders, you need, you know, lights out pitchers as well. So my biggest thing is, let's say the Padres fail this year. They've kept Soto. What are they doing next year? Are they, are they trading him in the off season? Are they going to try to give it one more run in his walk year and get nothing for him? Or like, are you trying to spin him off at next year's trade deadline for some rental, you know, at the, at the rental, uh, type of package at that point. Like, I don't know if you're going to get a whole ton for Soto. Um, you will get some probably decent prospects, but like, it's just very confusing to me. So, um, they, they really better get in this year or just really come back with a juggernaut next year. Uh, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, if I'm the GM, it, maybe you kind of have to double down a little bit, right? Like, you know, they 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 gave quite gave a quite a haul, I think, for Soto and everything. So, uh, it kind of looks bad. Uh, not everybody has the job security of a recon to like make those types of uh, trades <laughs> and then be like, oh, whoopsie, whatever, and then spend all this money on you know these couple players here. So. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think, I think that's what's going to happen. Uh, should it happen? I don't know. Um, cause Soto definitely, you know, one of the most talented players you'll, you'll ever see for sure. Uh, and his, his stats kind of definitely, uh, provide the case for that. But yeah, this, this team, like, I, I, yeah, I definitely feel like they needed like, uh, I don't know, some sort of like a Jason Veritek or something like that. A player that like is a little bit more stable, that that kind of balances that you know that energy around that that locker room there so or that clubhouse there so um yeah it's just it's too talented of a team i feel like to not win games here and i think that's just the biggest disservice uh, this season so far but hey if they do are able to make a run like i mean this team again they if they are able to you know close that close down those like one run games and and win them then uh this could be something that we see like of a uh, I don't know, like a, like a nice like turnaround story at the end of the uh, for the second half here. Yeah, well, we'll just have to see what happens. Uh, I don't know. Did you have any other losers on your board? Um, not not too many. I mean, more of the same. I feel like uh, whether they're just like teams that really didn't do too much versus you know maybe overspent on some, but you know. Again, like I mentioned the Dodgers, right? Like th- that trades and all. Uh, Value-wise, I definitely think that they overspent. Uh, I think, at least I, I felt like it. Uh, Lance Lynn and Joe Kelly, I, you know, I, I definitely talked a little bit about that. Um, you know, so I don't know. I feel like they just overspent a lot of players. And then also they did not get uh, Eduardo Rodriguez. I think he had a no-trade clause. I think he wanted to be closer to his family out east a little bit. So, you know, uh, I don't know exactly what they were planning on selling there, but you know, they definitely needed, you know, maybe some pitching depth there. So, uh, weren't able to nab that, uh, with a player like an Eduardo Rodriguez. So, uh, I feel like that was kind of a fail there. So I don't know. It just didn't feel like that was, that was the best, uh, off season for the dot or the trade deadline for the Dodgers. Usually they are able to make some splashes and yeah, this uh, trade deadline, uh, yeah, they, they kind of fell short on that. I felt like so, but I'm, I mean, yeah, uh, overall, uh, they're going to be fine. It's just, yeah, not not the best uh, of trade deadlines uh, usually f- uh, comparison to p- uh, previous seasons here. Yeah, this has been a. <clears throat> it seems like a transition year for the Dodgers. Like I don't even know if their intentions were to like be top contenders. Like I feel like they were trying to save some payroll to go after Shohei for you know this upcoming off season. But like they are in first place and they are a very stable uh, organization. They have a ton of prospect depth, and it's just like. Like you're saying, they didn't they didn't really go out and get that kind of like signature piece or the right mix of pieces, I think, to like really contend this year um, and go all the way. Like, I won't be surprised if they do. They still have Urias and Kershaw and, you know, they brought over Lynn. Maybe you can have like a respectable and, you know, better finish here to his season and kind of like readjust himself uh, to, you know, his standards, which should be around like a high three ERA um, in some sort of form, but we'll have to see. I, but I agree. Like I, it was a kind of a peculiar trade deadline for them. I thought they got a med Rosario basically for free, just giving up, 
Noah Syndergaard, who's been a nightmare to Cleveland. But, but yeah, again, um, they have some very, you know, MVP type players on that team in, in Freeman and Betts. But beyond that, it's like, you know, Will Smith is a, is a real gamer too, I should say, but like, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's been a more confusing year for the Dodgers, even though they find themselves in first place, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm just so, I guess so accustomed to like getting a trade Turner or something like that. So (laughs) to put them way over the edge and like, okay, yeah, this team's going to win. 100 some odd plus games whatever like yeah get a Juan Soto but yeah to your point maybe they do have longer term visions of getting you know a Shohei in the future because I know the the Angels right they made a couple of trade deadline deals there to like hey we're trying right we're trying to surround you with talent but I don't know if that's uh, enough for uh, them to woo Shohei back back to their fields there so yeah the Dodgers you know if they get Shohei then maybe this whole uh, trade deadline like inactivity if you will it was all for worth it. So, um, but yeah, just felt like the Dodgers uh, didn't have as sexy as a, a trade deadline activity as they usually do. So, no doubt. Well, I guess with all that, just like looking at the trade deadline, um, you know, perhaps we can put a wrap on you know the the kind of the the overall views of all the teams and their performances on the deadline itself and. I guess, like, you can take it in any direction you want, Wayne, but, like, as we, you know, kind of inch closer and closer to the playoffs now, we're winding down on 2023 as a regular season. Um, what are your thoughts? Like, who do you feel like in the AL and NL are your key contenders? And uh, I don't know, if you had to throw out a preliminary World Series prediction, you know, what would you say today? Right now with the, you know, post uh, trade deadline activities, uh, players getting healthy, uh, where they're stacking up compared to, you know, um, some of the other teams in their division or, or other teams in their, uh, in their in their respective leagues there. I don't know. For me, like, coming out of the NL, I'm, you know, going to join the bandwagon. I definitely think the Braves stand out, you know. Uh, they are just humming along, I feel like. Uh, probably have one of the most talented uh, lineups in general. And then, you know, their pitching staff, they they didn't make any dead on trains, really. Uh, I think they uh, got hand here. And then, um, yes, some other pieces. Uh, I think it was a Nick Lopez, I believe, Nicky Lopez. So uh, didn't really make too many things. Just uh, fine tuning uh, with some veterans here. But I, I definitely think that the Braves stand out. Amongst the NL, uh, you know, we were talking about the Dodgers. Like, it doesn't feel like it's their year. Uh, they just, they're just usually super talented. And, uh, but you know, I don't feel like it's their year. Uh, I know the Giants. They're 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 playing really well in terms of the record. But I don't know anybody that says, man, that Giants team. They're definitely World Series contenders here. Uh, and you know, the NL, the, the rest of the NL East. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of us were t- we were early in this early in the season, right? Talking about the uh, the Mets maybe making a run. I don't think so. Uh, so for me, I feel like yeah, the Braves. I, I see them kind of running away, in my opinion, with uh, in the NL there, um, and then out of the AL, I think this is going to be more interesting because uh, you know. 
I see a, a team, a specific team that's going to come out of the AL West. Uh, I see the Houston Astros actually, because Altuve <laughs> is getting healthy. Uh, Alvarez is getting healthy too. You know, I think they're kind of approaching like, all right, we're healthy. Let's get some. Let's fine tune ourselves heading into the postseason a little bit. Maybe they sure take some days and off here and there. But I think they're they're getting into uh, that Astros mode, which is just the best lineup in baseball, right? So, uh, and then they, they add Justin Verlander. They had some struggles with their pitching staff. Uh, added Verlander, added Grayman, you know, in the bullpen. So I feel like those uh, two acquisitions, I think, helped boost, boost, uh, it up their pitching staff in general. Um, you know, Valdez, one of the better pitchers out there, struggled a little bit more recently, but still, you know, if he kind of showcased what he did, uh, you know, when they won the World Series, I, I feel like he's a good number two. Verlander kind of is that ace that uh, you kind of just have that confidence. Even at, what, age 40, he can still do it. So, uh, for me, I'm going to have to pick, yeah, Astros versus uh, the Braves here. World Series, those are my two teams. What do you think? I mean, those are the two teams I have on paper as well. Like, when I <laughs> just walk... <laughs> I mean... I don't think it's like, okay, so the Braves, you know, clearly they're, you know, the cream of the crop in the NL. Um, they really have no holes in that lineup, like you said. The rotation is pretty top-heavy with Strider, Morton. They'll bring back Max Freed pretty soon. They got Bryce Elder, who's had a great year, too. It's just kind of like, seems to make sense on all levels, you know? I think if there's a wrinkle to throw out there, like a team to keep an eye on, it is, to me, like the Phillies. Like, I think that they've been treading a little bit of water. They're not a shoe in to even be a wild card, you know, team this year, but in, in, in just in terms of like how the team is structured, you know, they have a good rotation. They have really solid everyday ball players. Like Trey Turner has had a nightmare season, but if like he can just get right or get like a refresh going into the postseason, like we know what his career averages are. Like he's a different player than what he's shown this year. And yeah, you know, they got Bryce Harper, Schwarber, Castellanos, um, you know, and they have a lot of culture on that team. They've got a lot of grit, you know? So it's kind of like, we. I would like to see them kind of bounce back. I do, I do, I'll still stick with like, if the Padres can somehow find themselves into the dance, that would be interesting. Because then you shorten up the series. You have some some pretty, uh, you know, top-end starters there in Blake Snell, Musgrove, Darvish that could be, you know, interesting in a short series. Obviously, we know what the offense is. We talked about it. In the AL, I was with you because the second that Justin Verlander deal went down, I was like, damn, not only did they not have to spend a million, um, you know, millions and millions of extra bucks to keep him around uh, going into this year, the Mets basically paid for half of his contract. So they basically are getting him on like a discount for the next year or so. And it's like, what's funny to me is like, that's the exact shot in the arm the Astros needed because they needed another rotation guy. You know, they've had injuries, obviously, like you said, with the offense, but like when that offense is there and it probably will be like, this is a very dangerous team. So I see it the same way. If I was to throw out some dark horses for the AL, I've got my eye on whoever wins the last wildcard spot in the AL because the Minnesota Twins or potentially the Cleveland Guardians are going to be the number three seed. I think they're an absolute doormat, either one of those teams. And whoever wins that final wildcard spot, I'm assuming is going into the 
playoff series like very hot and you know you get that one big series win it could parlay into other crazy stuff happening so whether that's the Toronto Blue Jays whether your Mariners find a way in whether it's you know the Red Sox piecing something together whatever it could be like we'll just have to see but but I do think that's a very winnable first series and uh I took a hard look at the Texas Rangers to be honest with you like their offense has been so incredible this year and they've had a really great year. Obviously they add Scherzer, like that changes up their pitching mix a little bit. It all kind of depends. I do think the Astros are a better overall team than the Rangers, like all things considered, but again, depends on the flow of like the rest of the year and how you know, things go like working their way into October and you know, I could see it seem like the Rangers representing the AL for sure. Yeah, I mean, I did think about the Rangers, you know, Seager, uh, I think he just came came off the DL. Um, yeah, Seager's having like an MVP season. If it weren't for, you know, the greatest player of our generation, like playing right now, uh, in Shohei, uh, he would definitely be a, an MVP candidate for sure. So, uh, but yeah, like uh, the Rangers offense, they're do- they're doing amazing things. Uh, but yeah, they're pitching staff. There's just some... A lot of question marks, I feel like, there. And then, you know, just last season, too, uh, you know, they were kind of bottom of the rung there. So uh, I just feel like there's a lot of question marks there. Whereas Astros, this is a team that's been there. They've done that. Uh, they're still, you know, kind of players in their prime. Uh, and, yeah, this this team just has a lot of heart and everything. And, you know, with Dusty Baker, too, uh, that kind of solid professional in terms of a manager. So it's hard to kind of bet against that team uh, that's been there done that um yeah it is funny kind of that they bring verlander back now it's like oh he kind of like just wanted to chill over there like as a rental essentially for the mets and then it's like okay that's enough of that let's let me let me play some serious baseball now with the astros so it's hard to go against there but yeah i i'm I am with you i think i am thinking some sort if there is going to be a dark horse it might be some team out of the al east you know whether it's the rays or jays i i think those are the two teams that could potentially make a run there uh, you know, Rays, they've had that, you know, playoff burst for whatever reason, right? You look at the rosters like, oh, this is nothing, but, you know, their pitching stands out. They get that timely hits. I, I think, you know, this season, uh, their hitting's been pretty, pretty, uh, pretty awesome, right? I think it's like they were maybe second or third, I think, in there in terms of runs. So, you know, uh, that offense. And I mean, hey, the Baltimore Orioles, like, I, I know we're kind of, I don't want to say talking past them because they're just young and nobody expected any of this. And, Rarely is it ever where you're like, oh, this is a young up-and-coming team and they just launch the World Series. That usually just doesn't happen. But, you know, maybe they definitely can because they do have some solid pitching there. So, uh, but honestly, if I'm going to bet, yeah, I'm going to, you know, maybe look at uh, definitely the Astros and then maybe, I don't know, maybe the Rays actually. I might have them as my second team that could potentially make a, a run there to the World Series out of the, out of the AL. So, my my only my only thing with the Rays right now is um I got news today like Shane McClanahan's going to be out with a with an elbow um issue and that definitely scares me um I think if the rotation is down to Glass now Savali who they recently acquired and then um Eflin I think that's okay I think that plays but just to have Shane McClanahan um as your number one like that would mean everything to the Rays and the way they started the year being like the best team, like 
like just an impressive first place team with the record and then kind of now falling back into like a wild card. So it's like the momentum I think needs to definitely shift for that team. Like they need to, uh, you know, definitely get hot toward the postseason. But but I never discount the Rays. Like they're always, they're always, you know, playing team ball and they're going to be gritty and well coached and well organized. So, you know, I'm never overlooking them. I just, uh, you know, wish them better fortune with like, pitching injuries especially this year is just completely uh you know should have derailed them but somehow they pushed through and they've persevered so you can't you can't uh you know uh overlook them at all yeah it was it they also lost uh they lost several starters i think right like uh rasmussen jeffrey springs yeah yeah drew rasmussen yeah terrible yeah so several players there um but yeah like you mentioned if you have three decent starters there then that can definitely uh, carry on with, especially with that offense that's just been raking. Uh, I know they kind of took a step. Or uh, a Rosarina, like yeah, he's what. However, the, I feel like the Rays go, he goes right. So I think he uh, kind of went into a drought. Uh, yeah, this uh, uh, you know more so of late. So you know if he can uh, kind of start raking in, I feel like maybe they they are able to make that push. But yeah, the, this Rays team, I always feel like. They're always in it, and you know they, they definitely have some experience, you know, going to the World Series and kind of just making a run that nobody expects. I feel like so. For sure. Do you have any thoughts on baseball at large? I mean, baseball at large. Uh, I mean, if I were to pick uh, a World Series winner now, now that I think we have the World Series kind of set up, there, <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, honestly. You know, if, if it's Astros versus Braves, I mean, that's a heck of a matchup. But, you know, I'm going to go Braves. I'm going to go Braves, actually. Uh, I, I I, mean, if you talk about, like, the most, two most, like, maybe well, most balanced teams out there, I feel like, uh, this is definitely it. You know, uh, I think Okuna, like, I don't know what other type of player out there. It's just so much more, so exciting, you know, stealing bases, hitting home runs, uh, MVP candidate. Like, I think that's awesome. And then that pitching staff too, um, kind of just one of the better, like in terms of, you know, top, top to bottom, you know, everybody kind of contributes there. So I'm going to go with the Braves. I feel like they're, they're, they're not going to be as much battle, uh, worn out, maybe not as many game sevens, you know, I feel like out of the NL and I, I think that'll go into their favor there. So I'm going to pick the Braves, win the world series. Sorry, Padres, not gonna, not gonna go with you here. So yeah. What do you think? I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, today I'm picking the Braves of the Astros as well. I think that you look at what Spencer Strider's come out and done here in his second season, um, completely, dominating at times uh very impressive year overall and like to me uh you know you go morton possibly freed or elder after that just in terms of the depth looking at you know that rotation versus houston like very comparable um but verlander Mm -hmm. has been susceptible to some big blow-ups in the playoffs in recent years and he's definitely getting older he's not unfortunately he was a cy young not not too long ago but in the same sense it's like there's some vulnerability there. Um, Framber Valdez is, is, is a very good one B, you know, type of option for them. So that, that, I don't know, it, it stacks up very nice. And Christian Javier's had a really good year in his playoff 
you know, seasoned at this point, even though he's very young, but he underwhelmed in some contexts because I think a lot of people were expecting him to be like a staff ace and replace Verlander, and he never really stepped up to be that, even though he's had a solid year. So, like, I give like a slight, slight nod to the Braves in terms of what they have one through five in the rotation. And then you stack up those offenses. Um, man, it's like a very, very slight nod to the Braves just based on the fact that, like, They've been completely healthy this year. Like all those guys that played to like basically their potential, like Matt Olson is an MVP candidate along with Acuna. You still got Albie, Sean Murphy, Michael Harris has had an amazing second half. Um, Rosario was carrying the team for a while. Ozuna was for another. It's like, yeah, man, they're just loaded and primed for like a, you know, a world series run here. The, the funny thing for me is like, these two teams have played in the World Series not too long ago, and the Braves won. So it's like, part of me is like, will that psychology get into the heads of the Braves? And, you know, could the Astros, like, tie up that, you know, that rivalry a little bit? Or, you know, will the will the Astros actually fall back on their, you know, on their hands a little bit after winning last year's World Series? Because it's very hard to repeat, especially when you have th- these many great contenders uh, going into it this year. So it's like, I just feel like that pressure... Um, you may allow another team to emerge and, and kind of win it all this year. Yeah, no, and I'll, I do like how you broke down. I think, yeah, with Spencer Strider, like, I don't know. I, I'd love to see him in the postseason, kind of what he can uh, showcase there because he can strike out everybody, <laughs> right? Uh, I guess I, I do have a question because I, I think there's a battle between in the Cy Young, right, and for the NL now. Like Strider, I, he was my prediction, FYI, in the beginning of the season for the Cy Young. You know, I just thought he was going to strike out everybody. He, he, I think he's got like, the fastest or quickest uh, pitcher ever to like uh, get 200 uh, strikeouts in a season or something like that, right? So uh, curious, you know, uh, pivoting off of you know our conversation with the uh, with Spencer Strider and the Braves, but you know Blake Snell, he's having a marvelous season. Maybe the Padres aren't, but you know he's the leader in ERA. Um, you know, I don't know. Who do you think uh, has, or who, who would you probably vote for for the Cy Young, the Cy Young there at the NL with you know the Strider, who I think he's carrying around like a three six ERA, so maybe not the best ERA, but he's getting wins, he's getting strikeouts, albeit you know with one of the most talented lineups in all of baseball. But yeah. Uh, who do you think deserves it more, Strider or Blake Snell? Or do you got another person uh, that you would pick? Because what's tough for me, you know? Uh, I think the way I might perceive... I mean, I always think ERA to me is like one of the best, simplest metrics of understanding like uh, pitcher's value. Like I, I know strikeouts are exciting and it's like I love looking at guys who have like a... 12k per nine or you know uh you know they're just they get more than a strikeout per inning on average you know it's it's impressive but like when a pitcher is basically you know the best in his field in terms of like how many runs he actually gives up you know per nine innings that that means a lot to me especially when the sample size is very large and and snell has definitely had a very large sample size this year and you know he's down to two point you know i think five uh in that sort of range whereas like you're saying strider's almost like a run above that it's uh 
for me on those on those stats alone and obviously we need two more months to watch how this thing all plays out but like if i was if we were just like carry that into the end of the year i'd I'd go with snell in this scenario just because i think that matters more and snell has also been like incredibly impressive in terms of uh i don't think he started his year on the very best note and he's just come roaring back with like you know shutout start after shutout start or very you know uh you know low amount of runs allowed in, in each one of these consecutive starts. So it's like, he's really strung together an amazing, you know, middle first half through the second half so far. And uh, yeah, if he can carry it through, if the Padres can get to the postseason because of, you know, his efforts, like I think that would bode well for him. Um, taking nothing away from Strider. I mean, he could easily win the Cy Young, you know, like you're saying, like he, he clearly dominates in the strikeout category. Um and he's been, uh, you know, a staff ace for them for sure, especially with Freed out this entire year. He is almost like an MVP of their pitching staff in that sense, or you know, could be an MVP of a pitching staff all across baseball, which maybe the Cy Young represents a little bit. But yeah, if I was pushed, uh, pressed, I would probably go with Snell. Yeah, I mean, I think my thinking is like, if Strider can just lower that ERA just a little bit, <laughs> like you know, I think yeah, sure, if he gets to, I don't know. Uh, maybe like a 3.1, 3.2, something like that, which very much so capable of doing that, uh, then I think that's a good conversation to, to be had there. has a stronger case. But, um, yeah, I'm with you in terms of how, you know, at least I like to evaluate a pitcher. It's like, yeah, looking at, uh, you know, uh, ERA, you know, uh, FIP, uh, are they getting innings too? I think that's where I really liked uh, Sandy Alcantara last year, right? He's not having the best season this year, but uh, Alcantara, like it was, it's one thing to have like a, a two ERA, like a low two ERA. It's another thing to have a two ERA and then pitch like four or five complete games and you know get seven innings or eight innings, right? Because hey, uh, that that that's just good for your overall team uh, if you're able to get innings and not give up runs. Like that's that's baseball. That's a pitcher in a nutshell. Whether you're striking out. 10 or 12 uh, hitters or, you know, uh, two hitters and or striking out two hitters and then just getting a bunch of like ground outs or pop-ups, like outs to outs, innings or innings. And, you know, I think, yeah, with Blake Snell, that's, that's definitely been his uh, uh, str- strength there. Uh, he has walked a lot of uh, batters. I think he's got like 60 some odd, which is kind of a little bit crazy, but that's, if that's the only knock, he's still not getting people out, you know, uh, I would probably favor him in terms of the Cy Young, but since I really picked uh, Spencer Strider uh, to be my Cy Young at the beginning of the season, uh, I'll, I'm going to go ahead and uh, probably take Spencer Strider here just for the sake of it. Yeah. I think an X factor uh, that I'm considering here too is Justin Steele of the Cubs. Um, he's he's basically won 12 games so far, 2.65 ERA, same amount of innings as Snell. Um I mean, he's been pretty efficient for them, and if they were to happen to squeak into the playoffs too, um, gotta keep an eye on a guy like that. Like, I mean, he's not gonna make the front page news in a lot of situations when we talk about best pitchers in either league, but you know, definitely cobbled together like a very impressive season. And I think if I was a Cubs fan, I'd be pretty excited about what's to come for for Steele. Yeah, not to mention an awesome name, but yeah, honestly, it's like <laughs> if Steele and the Cubs like. That's where I'm, you know, at the beginning of the season, again, uh, I'm not going to talk about the Padres, but at the beginning of the season, I was thinking the Cubs, like that might be like a dark horse. Like they might win 
80 some odd games, you know, maybe sneak in the playoffs, but, um, you know, that team, uh, I think it's, I think they've exceeded expectations. Some, uh, Stroman too, like he's been, you know, I think one of the most consistent pitchers out there. So, uh, and then yeah, they're hitting, they, they definitely had some, you know, some, uh, a nice kind of bounce back year, you know, for or Cody Bellinger. Uh, so I feel like the Cubs definitely can make, you know, a push for the division, you know, against the, the Reds, which they really didn't do anything. They, their, their, their pitching staff is kind of poor. They, you know, just really good at getting runs. And then, yeah, the Brewers, some, you know, they, they're kind of the opposite. They have excellent pitching and their, their hitting is kind of over the place sometimes. So, I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a team to watch for. I think, you know, going to the second half here is the Cubs, uh, whether you like them or not, you know, I know we're both White Sox fans here, but man, it's hard. It's hard not to like Stroman is one of my favorite players, I think. So it's not, it's hard to like, not to look at the Cubs and be like, wow, uh, I'm kind of impressed with what, where they are right now. Yeah. I mean, while I'll never be a Cubs fan, um, the, the state of the White Sox and the state of the organization of the White Sox has, has really just turned me into a pure baseball fan. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like being a Chicago sports fan in general, it's like you better have a secondary or tertiary team that you root for or just a team you want to get behind year to year. Like it doesn't have to be the same one either. It could just be like, hey, this is an exciting, fun team and I'm going to get behind this team or you know, I like this player or those players and stuff. Like, Or maybe it's just tied to your fantasy team, you're betting, whatever else it could be. But it's like, yeah, man, it gets really tough uh, season in, season out and as a Chicago fan to like back your teams with with true loyalty and and high expectations here in your house so um all this to say good on the cubs for you know really surprising really stepping out and and making it a battle in the nl central and um they're right in it they're definitely right in it i mean they've been hot coming off the all-star break so we'll see how they uh you know end up here yeah do you, do you have any like bold predictions uh, for the second half or any any players or teams that you'd like to see either make a run or 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 just you know do something crazy uh, in the second half here? Man, I do, and I was thinking about this before we jumped on this call right now. Um, I'm just trying to remind myself of of that squad. I think I talked about some of the dark horses for the playoffs. Um, but I think one thing that I personally would like to see is I would like to see playoff Shohei Otani. I mean, I, I just want to see what he's like in a short series because you could start him possibly two games in a best of five. You could pencil him in every day at DH or he's pitching and hitting at the same time. And we were seriously watching Babe Ruth in in real time. I mean, this is... This is Babe Ruth. This is the reincarnation of Babe Ruth. And I seriously think no matter what happens after this point, he will always be revered as such. Like if he has a catastrophic injury this year and never plays again, I don't think anyone would ever question like he's easily one of the best baseball talents that ever stepped on the field, you know? And I just want to see what he's worth, man. I want to see what he can do when all the marbles are, you know, kind of, on the line and uh we saw what he did in the um world baseball classic like completely outclassed mike trout and made him look like a scared child uh it was amazing like i <laughs> i was amazed by it honestly and you know he's so good for the game um attendance is up this year 
I think a lot of the rule changes that came into place um, in this past offseason really sped up the game, made it more exciting, interesting for fans. And I'm happy to see that. I mean, for for all reasons, like it keeps it keeps the game that we love around longer. It celebrates it in a new way. And, you know, business is up. That's positive. Like I, I'm, I'm in support of all this stuff. So get Shohei in the playoffs. I don't know what I can say more about like the angels as a squad, but I will say like, if they are that six seed and they get to play the Twinkies or the guardians, I think they're going to tear them apart. So we'll see. Yeah. I mean, like the, the, the impact that that player has on both hitting as well as pitching is nuts. And him in the playoffs, like, like it's it'll be interesting. Like, would you start him on three days rest? Like, this is like the craziness that this you know that we're talking about. Like, that's a, that sounds exhausting. I feel like for any player, it's like okay, you're gonna hit every single uh you know, or you're you're gonna be a hitter right in every single uh game we play. But then also, yeah, you're gonna pitch on like you know three days rest or something like that. Like, is that that could happen with a player like Otani? I feel like just rely on him. You know, and that's kind of crazy to think about. And, you know, he could win maybe three games in a in a playoff series. And then also, I don't know, hit like five homers. Like, that's just kind of crazy, I feel like, right? To have one player be able to, to do all that, play at such a high level. I mean, yeah, it's nuts. But I would love to see that. And, you know, hey, if the Dodgers are trying to make a move this offseason for that, uh, cause, so that he could just be in playoff contention all the time, like, that's just nuts to think about. I feel like. Yeah. Now, you know, we'll, we'll just have to see. Um, I, I'd hope that if he gets up to bat, they don't walk him in every single appearance. It feels like they're starting to give him the Barry Bonds treatment um, as we speak. So I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see, but yeah, I'm definitely eager for that. Um, how about you? How about the same question you asked me? Man, no, that's a good question. That's probably why I asked it. But, uh, you know, in terms of overall things in the second half, you know, maybe I touched about it with the Cubs a little bit. You know, again, I'd like to see Stroman maybe make a, a stride there uh, and, and push the Cubs to the playoffs. That's definitely something. But, you know, I also talked about uh, the Miami Marlins. I just feel like, you know, it's nuts, right, if the Marlins can get into the playoffs and make a run because I always feel like whenever the Marlins get into the playoffs, like all bets are off. Like I, I don't know what their uh, playoff record <laughs> is in terms of like playoffs uh, per or World Series per playoffs, but I feel like it's pretty it's pretty good, you know. Like whenever, yeah, I, 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 all the times I can think of was like '97. I think they were a wild card team, and then was it 2001 as well, or was it 2003? I think uh, whatever that season was with Barman, right? Um, they snuck into the World Series, you know, kind of snuck into the World Series and won the whole thing. So I feel like, could that be the case for this team? I don't know. So that's just nuts if they are able to get to the playoffs again. You know, I think that they had a pretty solid uh, trade deadline moves. You know, again, not giving too much for some players that can make impacts, some, you know, big bats there. Uh, so honestly, I feel like that can be an interesting Look out there. Uh, again, it's going to be a fun division uh, uh, race there in the NL East. Uh, you know, maybe not catching up to the Braves, but, you know, if they can uh, be that other playoff team or, you know, 
uh, with there with the Phillies. Um, you know, that could be an interesting thing that comes about. But, yeah, I don't know. That Miami Marlins team, I feel like that could be scary, especially yeah, with uh, Uzardo and then Alcantara, like those, those two – uh, arms there. I feel like they can do a lot of damage there. And then, yeah, Reyes one of the best hitters uh, out there as well. So, Yeah. I mean, for them as a team, if they were to somehow get into the playoffs, win the World Series, they'd have three World Series titles, which would match the amount of uh, championships the White Sox have in team history. So, And that spans over 100 yeah. years. So to yeah, think a team's yeah, been yeah. around for 30 years and might have. Yeah. <laughs> No, I mean, it, it's, well, as I say, it's funny is that we talk a lot about Moneyball and the Oakland Athletics and everything and like how they don't spend money and yet they're able to, you know, go to the playoffs and win stuff. It's like, I don't know, the, the Marlins are pretty good at it. They're, they're kind of playing the same game. I, you know, I think they, they spent some money like uh, during that, you know, uh, 97 season, but then they sold it off everybody after that. But I'm like, they don't get enough conversation or credit, I feel like. Compared to maybe, yeah, like the Oakland Athletics, they made a movie about it. It's like the Miami Marlins are kind of doing a very similar thing in here, but they're winning World Series. So I feel like, you know, why do you play the game mm-hmm. to win the World Series and everything? So I don't know. I feel like they're not getting as much uh, uh, talk with regards to how that organization is able to, you know, put out contenders out there uh, with a low payroll compared to, yeah, maybe the Oakland Athletics for whatever reason. Oakland Athletics, they just need to sell that team or, you know, move or whatever. It's just, it's kind of pitiful, honestly, that that the team exists out there. So, yeah. Right. I guess also with the Marlins, like, Yuri Perez is one of the best pitchers, you know, potentially coming up in this game. He's had an amazing season as a 20-year-old with their team. He's been sent back down to the minors to kind of, like, let his arm just rest. And, again, like you were saying with Alcantara, Luzardo, you slot in Yuri Perez as your th- number three, like all bets could be off. You know, this could be a very lights out type pitching staff. You know, they play small ball, get themselves, you know, Mac manufacturing some runs, you know, game to game. Like, I don't know, man. Yeah. All bets are off in the playoffs as it is. I think this year will be incredibly exciting. Like I, you know, we talked a lot about the Braves and Astros up top, but like, it's not going to be an easy, uh, you know, pass through, I guess, in either league. I think there's a lot of, you know, roadblocks there and a lot of, twists and turns that come about so always interested in watching baseball especially um i feel like there's a lot of uh parody year to year and a lot of uh upsets usually take place so should be a lot of fun yeah i know it's gonna be exciting i'm looking forward to i'm looking for playoff baseball but yeah even you know the second half of the season just moving up to the playoffs that's gonna be fun intense uh there's probably gonna be some heartbreak and you know i think we're talking about the beginning of the season like you know, teams like the Reds, right, where none of us predicted them to be where they are right now. Um, you know, I may have predicted, like, the 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 Diamondbacks maybe making some sort of a run or, you know, improving it based off of last year, which, yay. But, you know, I didn't see the Giants. I thought the Giants were going to take a step back. Uh, they, you know, they have 60 wins, I think, right now. So, um, no, nah, it's just unpredictable, uh, kind of just what's happened and what's transpired. Uh, and, I don't know, we'll see – yeah, if the Padres are able to make a run, I don't know, because I know we both pred- predicted that they have better seasons and their run differential definitely, uh, you know, uh, uh, kind of pushes for that. So, yeah, it should be interesting, I think, uh, to see where everything kind of lays out uh, for this rest of the season. For sure. Well, that's 
basically our baseball overview, uh, going, looking back at the deadline, you know, getting our way through all the way through 2023 here, the regular season, the postseason. So, you know, stay tuned folks. Uh, those who watch baseball, you know, should be a lot of fun, uh, coming up for the last uh, few months here in the season. But I guess with that, uh, Wayne, do you have any final thoughts to uh, close the show with? Yeah, I think I have one final thought. Um, you know, uh, this Barbie movie, uh, it's gotten a lot of press. <laughs> uh, in my opinion, you know, I don't want to be all political or manosphere hate or anything like that. It's just fun. Go watch it. Like, it's enjoy pink, whatever. It's it's a nice, fun uh, movie out there, I feel like. Uh, it's, it's, you know, uh, it, I think people today are just too serious or feel like, they're always being manipulated about things. It's just fun. It's a fun movie. Go watch it, enjoy it, have a drink, whatever. Uh, you know, it's a good summer movie, and uh, I, you know, I feel like yeah, just just go watch it. Go ahead and also watch Up on Hyper too. I love Christopher Nolan as well. And again, it just doesn't have to be a man versus woman, pink versus whatever. You know, uh, enjoy, just enjoy yourself. And I think yeah, it's a fun movie. Go watch it. There's some nice morals behind it too. Uh, you know, a nice mother-daughter relationship. So uh, I feel like, hey, just have a little bit of joy. Have a little fun. Not, not everything has to be serious. Uh, but, yeah, uh, I think that's all I have to say about that. Just uh, Barbie movie, uh, yeah, two thumbs up for me. So Sounds good. I actually heard it was a really well-written movie. Like, it's not just a, like you know, mainstream movie that just targets itself right to, let's say like a young, younger girl audience or a millennial girl type audience. Like it, I feel like, doesn't it have like, I don't know, at least mirrors a lot of, you know, themes or issues that get played out in society, like pop culture and stuff. Like, I feel like it has like a, a darker, deeper twist to it from what I've heard so far from, from folks. Yeah. I mean, there's there's definitely uh, the Ryan Gosling side of like he's he's Ken. He's always been the accessory to Barbie, uh, so he kind of just like his life revolves around Barbie. Like he's uh, <laughs> with a bunch of other dolls that are named Ken as well, and he's trying to get Barbie's attention amongst you know all the suitors, if you will, of Barbie, because in their world, Barbie's like essentially like. The president, like, just is in charge of uh, the, the entire world. So he's just like, uh, I need to be paying attention to Barbie. I'm going to try to get her attention. I'm going to compete with all these other Kens uh, to get her attention. And, and I feel like, I don't know, uh, yeah, there has to be a time in some, you know, a guy's life, I guess, where it's just, yeah, maybe it's nice to move on, right? So, and have your own life, have your own adventures, you know, I think that I think that's kind of what they're talking about with regards to this whole manosphere Ken stuff. Like, cause I think at the end of the day, it's like, oh, he had his like a, I think a T-shirt at the end that says, um, "I'm Knuff," right? I think that's the idea: is just enjoy your own life, have fun. You know, your life doesn't have to revolve with just one person or whatever. And yeah, there's more to life than just uh, you know picking up a Barbie essentially. So, yeah. Yeah, so so dudes out there that are very whipped in their relationships. Um, <laughs> this is a you know, the uh, you know, uh, you know, this is a press announcement for you guys to uh, you know sack up a little bit, be yourselves, try something new, branch out a little bit, make some friends. Like if you still want to court Barbie on the side, or you know, 
Barbie tells you yeah. to come home at a certain hour, like you can do that, but you know, just be an individual, be independent a little bit. Be enough, be enough. So, um, <laughs> yeah. but uh, yeah, no, I, I actually will see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I was to say you're gonna see it. I, no, that, yeah. Well, I wanted, to, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it, it's it's definitely trending, but I, but I again, I like, I I thought it came back to like it's not just this pop culture flick that's just very surface level and just they're just making a Barbie movie to 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 sell you know, tickets to a Barbie movie. Like it actually has like a good plot and it has, yeah. you know, some things we could think about and take away from the movie. Like I like the, I like the steer I've heard so far in the film and then kind of pairing it with Oppenheimer. It feels like those two are like, obviously, uh, what is it? Barbenheimer or something like that for the summer yeah. and everything like, but like, you know, yeah. but Oppenheimer also yeah. seems interesting from the sense of like, you know, manufacturing the atomic bomb and, you know, the whole uh, play out yeah. of that whole situation and, context that it's had on our world like i think those are two movies that i'd like want to get into even though it's becoming such a trend like i'll follow the trend i'll I'll see both movies at some (laughs) point in time yeah and i I don't want to spoil anything more with regards to barbie but i feel like at least to me you know it definitely like speaks to also women in the sense of yeah you know there isn't just there there is more to life than just like uh pursuing a career or sensing power so again this whole manosphere stuff i feel like it's overplayed, right? Like, yeah, women can do awesome things and achieve things and also have a family and have, you know, a normal life, if you will. They don't have to always be, it doesn't, it's not an either or, you know, we are able to multitask, I feel like, in today's world, uh, especially, yeah, now we're all able to work remotely a lot more so than compared to previous years. And that's oftentimes also a good uh, thing for specifically women in today's workforce because, Oftentimes, women are pushed to, I feel like, uh, work uh, or, or, or take care of the children a little bit more, have a proclivity to take the children more. So I feel like that definitely is where working from home, being able to achieve some career success uh, is good for them individually as well. But then, yeah, like that's not, all, that's not everything life is about, too. It's about experiences, enjoying your loved ones. So I, I think it, it touches all those points there as well. For sure. And it resonates with me. I mean, my wife's stay at home, uh, remote worker as well, uh, as I am, like we are 50, 50 partners in our, you know, in our work and our marriage, everything like that, uh, you know, raising a child responsibilities and stuff like that as well. So it's just like, yeah, we are in a new day and age and you know, that should be reflected in how, you know, society views it, uh, how pop culture expresses it, hopefully how, uh, income stubs, uh, <laughs> Are, are received on both ends too. Like that, that's still a work in progress in some, you know, in some, um, you know, points of it, but, uh, yeah, no, overall, uh, yeah, good final thought. And, uh, I guess I'll get to mine, uh, right now. So, uh, with my final thought, I actually just got back from, you know, my hometown, uh, around Chicago and in the same sense, uh, took a visit up to Milwaukee, uh, in, uh, one part of that, 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 you know, uh, return back, but it's funny, man. Number one, Milwaukee is definitely going through its own sort of like modernization at this point. Like it is completely different from the time I went there, uh, shortly after college. Um, I just feel like with a lot of bigger cities around the country, it just seems to be like very much trying to build out a waterfront has like a beautiful waterfront scene now on Lake Michigan and Milwaukee, uh, some new museums out there. Um, ended up going to a restaurant looked like a hole in the wall, but ended up having like a really built out menu. 
really, I, I, and it's hard for me to say this, but like I had the best pizza of my entire week in Milwaukee and it was like this chicken barbecue, chicken ranch, uh, cilantro, um, you know, pan pizza, just like a hand tossed regular pizza. Um, but just so good, man, everything on it. Very, very good. I will, uh, you know, hopefully be able to plug the name of the restaurant here, uh, somewhere in the, in the captions or elsewhere. But, uh, in the same sense, it was like, it was cool to show my wife this part of, you know, the Midwest, because in a lot of ways, like when I think of Midwest as being from Chicago, it's like, it is Chicago. <laughs> it's like, I, I don't know. Like there are some cool mini Metro cities around the city of Chicago, but like for those that are not from our region, like it hardly ever gets seen. Cause most folks just like, you know, matriculate over to Chicago and that's pretty much all they, they do. So we got to show her, Milwaukee, uh, in the same sense, like went to like a more, uh, Milwaukee brewery type town, uh, you know, a couple of blocks. So, you know, she doesn't drink beer, but like same sense we had bratwurst, we had cheese curds, we had obviously beer was, was poured. Like it, it was definitely a Milwaukee type experience. So it was pretty cool. So if you haven't been to Milwaukee in a while and you're from Chicago, like just drive that extra hour. Like it was pretty cool. And on the way out, we went to the Mars cheese castle on the side of the road and again, like a very, very cool experience because it's just like everything you, everything you think about when you think Wisconsin, it's like cheese, there's, you know, cheese curds sold in the store, like tons of, uh, you know, very heavy desserts and other things. So, uh, it, it was definitely pretty cool. And, uh, the only thing I was going to say about Chicago is I ended up going to the Adler Planetarium one of the days and. You know, took that very iconic shot behind the Chicago skyline and like the picture came out really well, me and my family and stuff. And like, it was just very weird because I had this first like kind of epiphany or like experience where I was like, man, Chicago is not home anymore to me, you know? And I don't know how to explain that feeling. It's a very, you know, you lived in Seattle for a while, Wayne, but it's just like this idea that now that I like work in DC, live in Virginia, like this very much feels like home to me and like Chicago is like an old friend, like a very close old friend to me, but it definitely had a different twist this time around. And, uh, I don't know how I can pretty much put it into words, but beautiful city. It's just, uh, yeah, it definitely, it definitely feels like I haven't, I haven't been there in a while, you know? Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of people that grow out of Chicago. I feel like, I feel like when you're in the city for, you know, decades, right. Or you grew up around it. Um, you want and want to search for other things out there, other experiences that maybe resonate for a different side of you. Uh, so that's something for, cause I think the interesting thing about Chicago is that it's, there's so many different things, so many different things, so many, uh, cultural things you can do, uh, museums you can see, uh, uh, lifestyles you can live jumping from one neighborhood to another. Uh, that I almost feel like you get a little bit of almost too much of everything. So essentially you become a utility player, but maybe you want to be a shortstop. Maybe you want to be a second baseman, you know, maybe you don't want to be a utility player. And that's where I feel like, I don't say Chicago's a utility player, like a Tony Graffiano or something like that. But I feel like sometimes, you know, that that's where it definitely feels like it, it can be a lot of different things. And it can just, it can just be a lot in general. Uh, whereas I feel like, you know, if, if you like nature, you know, you know that's kind of lifestyle you want to live, right? Maybe like a Seattle or Colorado, um, is a little bit more of your style. Um, or, you know, if you like cheese, 
maybe Milwaukee is a little bit more of your of your flavor in in beer, craft beers, and stuff like that. So uh, that's definitely where I feel like there's other cities that optimize your taste a little bit, just because yeah, Chicago can be a lot for a lot of different people. Uh, but you know, and then yeah, with regards to home, obviously, uh, you know, some other places again, it can definitely feel like more of a home to, to towards you. You know, some people they want a little bit more space, and but they also want to be in a metro type of area. And within Chicago, the Chicago limits, right? Sometimes that can be really expensive, and it's hard to do that. You kind of have to go to the suburbs for you know most people. So, yeah, Chicago. Uh, I'll always love it for sure. Will, will it be the home for my future? You know, we'll wait and see on all that. I do have some property here, but at the same time, like, you know, the world, man, it's good to experience it. It's just good to experience it and see kind of what fits, I think, your flavor. Yeah. And, and I think to some of your points about the city itself, it, like it has so much culture. It has so many different neighborhoods. It's so vast when you think about like, population size, but then just also like landmass and stuff for a major city. Like I think what it did for me, like living there and, you know, not everybody who like is from around the Chicago area actually gets a chance to like live in the city, work in the city, maybe go to school in the city. And it's like, for me, it sparked like a lot of curiosity, you know, especially when I was younger, I was like, I was so invested in what was actually happening around the neighborhoods and like getting a flavor of all the different cultures and stuff that it like made me want to go like abroad and made me want to live in other cities or work in other cities and try other things. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about Chicago. And it's like, it's not forgotten. Like none of this stuff is like, and I don't jog over it. Like, Oh, that wasn't important to me. Um, and not that Chicago is any less because I'm not there. Like it's still an amazing place to be. Um, but definitely just a different twist as, you know, I've come back to visit from time and time again over the years. It's just, yeah, this time it was a little bit different when I was standing there, I was like kind of taking it. I was like, man, this just doesn't have that, you know, that feeling you have when you're like, hey, I'm home or, you know, I have active, uh, you know, relationships or other like active experiences going on in this city. Like those are, those are kind of behind me in a sense. So it's, a, uh, it's interesting, man. It's an interesting part of life, but, uh, definitely enjoyed my time back. Shout out Chicago. Uh, talk to the sports franchises, ownership groups and executive staffs. And like, please like, do us all a favor and like help us shake, shake up those, uh, those, those different organizations. Yeah. Maybe, maybe if they start winning, maybe, maybe, uh, you know, Chicago will feel a little bit more home. I feel like, I don't know. Let's, let's see if we can get Pat back in Chicago. Let's see if we can get some winners in here. Today. <laughs> <laughs> I'll come back. I'll come back when you're good enough. No, I will be back if they get in the playoffs. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I will come. I mean, if any of the teams that I care about make the playoffs, like, and I've got a chance to come visit and stuff, like for sure, like want to go check out the game as at a bar or go to actual game itself. But, uh, yeah, not in any sense. Uh, no, I think this was good. Um, let's, let's make it a wrap. Um, if you are still with us, like the podcast, subscribe here on YouTube, leave us comments anywhere you're listening right now. Uh, give us a review, a sub- subscription somewhere. Instagram at ball and breakfast, check us out on the daily. We'll have reels and other, you know, videos and content that we'll post there. And, uh, yeah, just thanks for your support and we will catch you very soon.